Battle Ready Podcast. My name is Aaron McManus, and I'm here with my dad, Erwin Raphael McManus. It's good to be back. I'm glad you're here. I had a few weeks of uh, hiatus uh, due to my um, my health, but I'm back and ready to roll. You're back. You sound a little gargly right now, but I think it's just the tea's hot, and we were getting used to the room. Um, it's good to have you back. I know you were a little sick. We went to Mexico. We all kind of got a little sick. And we took a few weeks off. We played an archived episode last week, and we're back at it this week. So much has gone on in the world in one week. In really, really three weeks. In three weeks, because I guess, <clears throat> have we celebrated the Golden State Warriors winning the NBA championship? I don't think we did. I think we missed quite a few things. I, I came back City. from Mexico. Yeah. I had what would be classically known as Montezuma's Revenge, and I also had a sinus infection, oh then I had God. pneumonia, then I had something detached in my eye. Uh, you so, were like, you said <laughs> you were comparing yourself to Job. Well, I said <laughs> I wanted to live biblically, so I'm living out the book of Job. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, I was, I was, me and Austin kind of felt sick for like two days, like maybe a day or two. We felt a little weird, but definitely not the same as you. So well, I'm glad you're back. I'm glad you're feeling better. You feel and good? we did try to come in here twice to film uh, Tissue Battle Ready and... I literally had to cancel the moment cancel of. both times. So, yeah. yes, I feel great. I'm excited to be alive. I'm um, glad to get, get back into our conversations together yeah. and pick up battle ready. Yeah, I'm glad. Okay, so a couple <laughs> of things have been going on. The Golden State Warriors won the championship. Oh, we cannot celebrate that We have much. to celebrate it. I love that. I love Steph Curry. I'm such uh, a Curry fan. Uh, me too. I love that, uh, you know, Clay was in there and uh, that Draymond finally got himself together. Uh, I love it for Steve Kerr. I just love the Warriors. I love their culture, their ethos, and everyone who knows I'm a Clipper fan also knows I've always been a Warriors fan because if you are a Clippers fan for life, you have to have a team you cheer for in the playoffs. Yeah, you have to have a second team that can give you hope. <laughs> That's right. So you can't just be – it'd be like being a Knicks fan. You just never watch the playoffs because they never make it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you're really free during May and June. And in July. I would love for the well, Clippers to earn my loyalty during the playoffs they, by I, being there. <laughs> just give, bear with us if you're not into sports. They just acquired, I think they're going to acquire John Wall, which is the greatest devastating, like the most devastating news I've ever heard in my entire life. Clippers getting John Wall is like getting, adopting a nuclear time bomb uh, into your franchise. All right, wait a minute, this wait a minute. is going to go bad. All right, here's my argument. Ty Lue was able to manage Kyrie no, he and wasn't. win a championship in Cleveland with Kyrie. So maybe, just maybe, he can move John Wall from being toxic to actually just being a talent and making a contribution and allowing the Clippers to elevate to win their first conference championship. I forgot John Wall played in the league. Oh, he forgot. I, he forgot to. God, he, he forgot to. He still played basketball. Austin, he didn't play last year. Did he just sat on the bench for the Rockets? Bench for a while because he was hurt and then he... Okay. Was he Wait. physically hurt? Were his feelings hurt? Or well, he belongs on the Clippers because none of our stars played either. We're not going to go into this. There's a lot. Congratulations going to, to the Warriors. We love you. We're yes. proud of you. It's so beautiful. Uh, and they were completely untested. And let me tell you this: the whole playoffs. Clippers, do better. Fix yourself. Send John Wall to the Canadian League or to the Chinese League or to any other league but not the Clippers. Send him back. Return to sender, please. <laughs> Do not bring him here. And then let's jump into the rest of our, our lives. Um, yesterday, we did something really interesting. Well, as in we, I drove you to something really interesting. What did we do? Well, I um, a few months ago, I had the opportunity through the Global Leadership Network to interview Ryan Holiday. Okay. who is kind of known for stoicism and has quite a few books. And, but really, and he's just known for like reading stoicism and using it for TikTok. <laughs> well, he's, but he's good at it. But he's good at it, but yeah. he's really like a master marketer. That's been yeah, like his, he is. It's all of his previous He was with books. American Apparel before, and I guess his marketing skills uh, have, have helped him yeah, tremendously. If, you, if and, you can come back from the dumpster fire that was American <laughs> Apparel and all of the sec sexual harassment like lawsuits that must have been under his purview, and you can like absolve yourself of that and separate yourself from that. And they become known for stoicism. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he anyway, came, so he's like he's like Lazarus mixed with Neo from the Matrix. So I learned that uh, my interview with him okay. was um, the highest rated thing of the event. So he spoke, I spoke, and then the interview ended up getting an immense amount of um, of viewership. 
Amazing. So they called me up and said, hey, we have, this was last Thursday, and said, we have the opportunity to interview Ron Howard. The Ron Howard. Yeah, the Ron Howard. From Backdraft. Oh, you know, OB, OB Taylor and Richie Cunningham. What was it called? The, um, <laughs> the That was the uh, uh, Andy, Andy Griffith, Griffith Show. show? Andy yeah. Griffith Show. So, yeah. And then he was on, um, what was the Fonz? Yeah, Happy Days. Happy Days. Yeah. and That's where I picked um, him up. And then he did, you know, uh, Grand Theft Auto, um, American Graffiti. Apollo 13, Apollo, A Beautiful Mind. Yeah, uh, Cinderella Man, which is one of my favorite kind of hidden I mean, movies. Beautiful Mind. Beautiful Mind may be my favorite movie of all time, virtually. Yes. And uh, so, yeah, he's, uh, and he did Rush, which you really loved. I loved and, Rush. People hate on Rush. I liked Rush. Yeah. And it's an F1 movie. So they called me up and said, um, Would you interview him? And the crazy thing is, I was supposed to be in West Palm Beach this weekend speaking at an event, but because of my retina, I couldn't get on an airplane. So they did not allow me to fly. So I had to stay home. I was disappointed uh, that I had let down a friend and that I couldn't get this event. And lo and behold, and that's why sometimes in life, even when things go bad, you need to keep a positive, optimistic perspective that something good is on its way because that grounded me in LA, which made me available to interview Ron Howard on Monday. Crazy. And so they uh, sent me a link to his new film called 13 Lives and uh, sent me a lot of information on, on his background. But I knew so much about him because I've been following him all of my life. Can we talk about what it took to get into the room so I'm driving you and we get the directions. And for some reason, the address was taking us like around the corner. From they gave the us house. two addresses first. You're right. Well, yeah. I don't I only got one address and it was the wrong address. And then I couldn't. I was stressing because you were like, you know, they had, they, we had changed the times on us a few times. Yeah. So I was a little late. And then I, and then I was like, OK, we're going to make it early. And then the address was wrong. And then we get to the address. And they're like, look, you have to pass this COVID test to go inside. So I have to take a COVID test. I have to give it to myself. Yeah, it felt like <laughs> one of those like old school, like Crash Bandicoot, like where you have to face the different bosses at different levels on like Sloney PlayStation. And it was like, before we get to the next boss, we had to take a COVID test. I'm going to pretend that I understand any of that. It's like old video game, you know. So like we had to take this, this the COVID test. I didn't have to take it. You had to take it. I did. Which didn't make any sense because I was just as close to him as you were. But you had to wear a mask, and I Ish. had to, and I had to take the really COVID test to. because I was going to be on stage with him. And so he, you know, yeah, we've we've done so many COVID tests, but this COVID test was like completely foreign, and the the directions were only in Spanish. Yeah, it and was kind of rogue. You're having to talk to the client. <laughs> you do the nose thing, and you hand me the nose thing, which is gross. And I'm doing it, and then I don't know how to read the instructions because I don't read Spanish. So I'm like <laughs> Google translating things while this thing. I do read Spanish, but I don't understand instructions. So in any language, that becomes a problem. But I know this. In Spanish, I do not have COVID. In Spanish, I do not have COVID. And so we went in, and it was great. And you sat down with him and talked to us about it. It was an incredible interview. Maybe um, my favorite interview of all time, just because I enjoyed talking to him so much. Very kind, very gracious, uh, smart um, insightful, um, no, no entourage, no security, um, no. no assistant. It was no. just him. Just him. He just showed up, had his baseball cap on, yeah. sat down and yeah. was ready to roll. I, it was interesting too. Cause I was like, for sure, this guy's going to be late. Like, it's just, that's an LA thing. This guy's going to be late. Mm -hmm. We're going to be waiting forever and be here until 3 PM. Then we have to rush over to your next appointment. And it was really beautiful because he was in his office. It was in his office. And mm -hmm. there were just workers like laughing that there's this big interview going on and they're all just working on their computers with their <laughs> AirPods on. And he just shows up, rolls up with his hat and he was talking to the makeup artist forever. And I just was thought it was really sweet. Like he just was on time, made sure everything was efficient, came in, made fun of how many cameras there were. He was like, oh my gosh, did we do stunts? Like he was just <laughs> making little jokes. But I, I really thought this is the, this is the posture that, um, I, well, so first of all, this posture I think pastors should take, and uh, yeah. the level of humility—just incredibly uh, self-effacing. He didn't—he just didn't take himself seriously. He was just no. a regular guy. It was really beautiful. No diva. No. no nothing. Di like yeah. nothing. And like it was just a really beautiful, beautiful space. And you could tell the way they curated their office, to the way he talked 
talked about his business partners and his family and his mm-hmm. wife and his kids and success of his kids yeah. and it's just really really unique and you could tell he really valued family mm-hmm. really valued family and you picked up on that and you talked a lot about that with him in the interview which yeah. i thought was really interesting and you could tell just just the commentating on the interview i thought you could tell from his reaction that he doesn't get asked these questions yeah yeah, the biggest compliment that I walked away with was when we finished, he looked at me and he said, um, you asked me questions that no one ever asked me. This was a very unique interview. Yeah. And and I laughed and I said, well, why would I ask you what everyone has already asked you? And he goes, well, that's a good point. And, and then um, and he said, yeah, it was just very different. I really liked it. He goes, I really liked the experience. Thank you. Yeah, and then you started talking about family. Yeah, and the camera's already off. Yeah, they called cut, and then, then he started talking. He's like, oh, let me tell you a story about Bryce. And Bryce I said, Howard, who's stop. just in Jurassic Park. Can I film this? And you're like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Can we turn the lights back on? He's like, yeah, yeah, cool, let's do so it. We filmed it. We had this incredible conversation. And, uh, and one of the really coolest thing, too, is when I was describing his new film, he stopped. He goes, oh, I hadn't thought of it like that. He goes, Could, you know, we're still working on our marketing. Can I steal that for our marketing? Yeah. yeah. And I, He's like, I'm going to take that one. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, please. That would, that would be such a great compliment. Yeah. To have the uh, the language and insight that I was able to bring to it yeah. uh, to be a part of how they uh, tell the story of the film. So, you know, we want to we know that the last few episodes have been pretty heavy. So we wanted to make sure that we talked about all the good things that are happening in life. So many good things. in life. So many good things happening in life. This week was a particularly heavy one. So mm-hmm. we, we want to jump into it. But we also want to talk about a few other things. I don't know. Just kind of uh, talk about life, talk about anything specific and go from there. Mm-hmm. And then we'll dive into Roe versus Wade and get into like the truth between us and talk about all the controversy. All right. And I, I just think that one of the things we always want to do in Battle Ready is um, hit all the hard subjects that are out there. Right. But also always bring optimism and hope to everything we do. Yeah. So we don't want to pretend everything's okay. Right. We don't want to pretend that there are no problems or no challenges or no crises in life. But at the same time, um, we know that seeing the problem isn't an act of genius. It's uh, solving the problem and seeing through the problem to the solutions that really uh, that's that's the real um, weight of human genius, and we want to bring that kind of insight uh, to our time together. Uh, you, you know, this past week, uh, when the Supreme Court um, reversed uh, Roe versus Wade, um, it was a pretty significant uh, moment culturally, and um, I, I've been trying to go back in my mind to to process whether I ever thought this would happen. Wait, are we going into it? Or I thought we were going to go into it. I thought we were going to try to hit one more thing before we go into it. Okay, then let's cut all that out. Can I bring up? No, 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 no. Why? We're going to, we're getting there. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you about one thing that I thought was interesting. Can we, can we talk about the Ron Howard interview? Oh, sure. A little bit more? Uh, yeah, without too many specifics so we don't steal its thunder. Okay, then let's not steal its thunder. Let's talk about it after the interview's out. Yes. The interview comes out August 4th. Yes, it'll be uh, August 4th and 5th, because that's when the conference is. At the uh, Global Leadership Summit at Willow Creek. Yes, so yeah. we'll, we'll link it in a few weeks and make sure you guys get out there and support, because I think it's such a great interview. I think it's be really cool. Yeah. Okay, we were in Mexico City, and we talked about a few things. Okay. I, and I've been writing down, like, battery topics and different battery topics. I was thinking about when I couldn't have you on the podcast, I was thinking about doing a solo podcast called How to Raise Kids from Someone Who Doesn't Have Them. Ooh, exciting. <laughs> and I thought it would just be like a funny interview where I talk about kind of nothing and Brooke just makes fun of the nothing that I say. Uh, Milo, uh, I mean, how old is Milo right now? He's two and a quarter years old. And right. what happened? He Something happened to him today. There was a scandal. Come on, Brooke, tell us. There a was controversy. A, there was a preschool scandal. We, we were doing the prep for this episode and she went, <gasps> I did. I did a rather dramatic gasp. But my son, for the first time in his life, was bit by another child at school. No. So. And when you say another child, you mean a girl. A girl, yes. Are we allowed to say that? We but, are. But wait, but you you read it wrong. You're like, he got bit. Oh, my gosh. You were like getting it in, in, like in the moment. You're like, by a teacher? Oh, wait, that can't be right. And then you're like, no, by a girl. So tell us what happened. Tell us about this. This is hot a little. You know, right it's now. a tale as old as time. He had a toy that she wanted. He wouldn't give it up. She bit him. She said sorry. He hugged her. And that was the end. Essentially, what's going on with us in Russia? 
<laughs> what? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Terrible political joke. So is he okay? He's okay. Did not fully break the skin. And he, you know, as I told you earlier, we have a lot of experience in apologizing to our son for things we do wrong. So hearing I'm sorry was not foreign to him. And he was able to move past it. Okay. All right. So a win. A win for mom that I didn't freak out. And a win for Milo that neither did he. So this is my advice to you, Brooke. Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> Tell, you know, I had I was having this amazing conversation with... with, with <laughs> I'm not going to tell it. Wait, if I can say Wait a minute. If your advice is going to be bite first, I think you should stop. No, not bite first. <laughs> not bite first. Bite second. Bite back. No. Yes. You bite me, I'm going to bite you. Um, no, but I, I remember having a conversation with Angela Davis when I first met her like a few years ago, back in like 2018, 2017. And she was like, uh, I think Edward, one of her, her sons, who is now playing semi-pro, I mean, he's playing pro soccer at, the, a, at the junior level for, for the, the Red, Red Bulls, Bulls yeah. the New York Red Bulls. Mm -hmm. This kid has gone from being 5'4 when I met him at 12 to now being straight up like he's, I think he's 6'4 and he's 16 or 15. Wow. The kid's a stud. But he was getting bullied. And I remember she was like, man, I told him, I, I told him, if you get hit, hit back. <laughs> he pushes you, push back. Defend yourself. Do not let. And I was like, Angela, where were you when I was in elementary school? So that's my advice to young Milo. Thank you. That, that is not my advice, uh, Brooke, and I do not want that to stand as the battle ready advice. For <laughs> what? It, hey, it, look, we all want peace, but sometimes you got to bite back. Um, that is not serious advice. This is just a moment of humor. Um, and Don't let Milo listen to the podcast. <laughs> Don't let Milo listen. Um, okay, active feedback. This is the second topic I want to talk about. This is a serious topic. We never talked about that. We never active talked feedback. about active feedback. That's right. How fast can you receive feedback from someone? And the direct correlation to that ability to receive feedback, active feedback, and to put it into practice, the importance of that. Yeah, what I would say is the scale at which you're able to receive feedback, how fast you can receive it, um, is in direct relationship to how fast you will grow as a leader. And if it takes a long time for you to work through your sensitivities to be able to receive feedback, you're going to grow really slow. One thing that I really noticed this in was we were having conversations with our guy Emerson in Mexico City. Mm -hmm. And M, I know M listens to this podcast, but so obviously I'm only going to say good things. But M has become really receptive to feedback, mm -hmm. you know, where Latins are sensitive. He's sensitive. I'm sensitive. Feedback's a tough mechanism at times. But I would say that, like, we were having conversations with them walking. And then the next day, he's like, hey, I just made this adjustment just so you know. The whole team's yeah. adjusting this I would way. Say like a, this way. A decade ago when I was yeah. first working with him. Yeah. Um, my biggest feedback to him is you can't take feedback <laughs> is that you're so sensitive that you're just devastated by any level of feedback. So no one gives you feedback because they don't want to hurt your feelings. But we were walking with him and he, when he we were on the driveway to the, or the drive back to the airport, he's like, hey, I just want you to know I'm already implementing the, the steps that you kind yeah. of had suggested. And I, it's what gave me the idea for this, like, oh, active feedback. He took the feedback and he made it active. Mm -hmm. Right? Like anytime yeah. you're talking to someone, that's an active feedback. But are you going to actually make it active feedback? Are you going to put this feedback into action. Yeah, and one of the things that brought it up for me was um, when I have to speak in Spanish, I have a lot of um, a lot of room for improvement. And so uh, when I speak the first time, I have like a little group of people, especially Alan, who comes yeah. back there. Yeah. And I just basically go, tell me everything I did wrong. Tell me every word I mispronounced. Tell me every sentence I didn't get right. Um, just go, because I only have a few minutes before the next gathering. And I, I can't be sensitive. Like I, if, if I want to improve instantly, I have to be willing to take whatever they say hmm. and, and, and then download it as quickly as I can and make all the changes I can. And, and one of the reasons I think historically in my life that I've been able to keep growing and not have a ceiling on my life is my ability to take active feedback, even when it hurts, even when I don't like it, even when I disagree with it, uh, to um, extricate from whatever criticism the truth that actually I can apply to my life and get better.
How important, we were talking about this yesterday because, you know, I have some friends that are in an interesting situation with the organization they're working for. Organization has changed massively. And I think they're becoming more awakened to the reality in which they're living in now in their workplace. I had kind of gave them some warnings early on and good or bad, they stuck with it. And I was asking you, I was presenting the situation and you really gave me a couple of things that were predicators to the going like, I knew this organization was in trouble when I asked this question. Who do you look for to be your second in command? And I did ask that question. You did ask this question to a, a huge leader, one of the biggest. And he responded with, I picked that person because he does what he told what he's told. Yes. Is that active feedback or is that just a control mindset and a highly authoritarian structure? Well, that that's a culture of zero feedback. Interesting. And so that, you know, this was a massive global organization and I remember asked the guy who was in charge of it. I said, why did you pick him? Because it was the most strategic and significant role in the entire organization. And he said, because he does what he's told. And I waited for a follow-up like, and he solves problems well, or and he's able to distinguish between what's most important, or and any and. But he didn't have an and. It was he does what he's told. And I realized, ah, this person, um, has already hit his leadership ceiling and he doesn't even realize it He because of the massive success in his life. And the problem is that when you hit your leadership ceiling after you have massive success, it means you're going to have massive collapse. Interesting. And, and so a person can succeed being authoritarian. They can succeed being autocratic. They can succeed being um, creating a culture where there's no active feedback where people aren't growing and learning. And you think active feedback is you always telling everyone what they did wrong, hmm. rather than uh, an environment where even the new people in leadership can actually bring their fresh eyes to the organization to help you get better and better. Hmm. And, and so that was to me an extreme example, the opposite. Hmm. And then you would see that wherever they had expressions on a global level, it, 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 there wasn't a culture of active feedback. Do you feel how important is active feedback from obviously from a leaders to a volunteers or a leader to an employee, uh, an employer to an employee, but how important is it and how do you create an active feedback channel going the opposite way from, you know, the bottom up? Mm-hmm. How can, is that important? How important is it? And can you create it? And how do you create it? Yeah, I think there's several Tensions. Six questions. I'm sorry. Yeah, because if you're if if you have a new person, and quote they're immediately involved in active feedback, uh, they may not have earned the right to be heard yet. So if you're new in an organization, you're going they won't listen. You actually need to adjust that. They won't listen to you. It doesn't mean they won't listen. It may be that there are people they do listen to. You're just not in that circle yet. Right. And so active feedback isn't about everyone in the organization getting to talk about everything and giving input to everything. It's about at every level of organization, there are people that are um, allowed to speak their mind and, and give insights and, and, uh, and deal with the leadership ceilings that are there. And, and so the problem sometimes is that people are in a room and they come and and they know things aren't good and they complain to people outside of the room, but they don't ever really speak their mind in the room. And I, I find that if you don't have active feedback in a room, you, had, you end up with a lot of uh, backdoor criticisms. And so when you when you experience an organization where everyone's talking bad about everyone else and everyone's critiquing everyone else and everyone's saying how the leadership isn't doing their job, what that means is either leadership doesn't create a space for active feedback or the people who have that responsibility don't have the courage to give the feedback. Hmm. You have to be willing to speak what you see regardless of how it affects your job. Oh. Because you you have a responsibility to bring your best insight to an organization. Mm, I disagree with you. All right, disagree. Well, But that's because I allow active feedback. You just made my point. Thank you. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I don't agree because I, I, I don't I don't agree that it's always you're if you're not an owner in the organization or, you know, or one of the higher ups in the organization, you know, I think a couple of things. I think if you haven't shown your tenure, shown that you're mm-hmm. actually committed to the organization, don't give active feedback. That's what I said. No, no, no. But wait. But also, if 
your job depends on them liking you and all you're doing is saying all the things that are wrong with them, you're the first one that's gonna go because they're gonna want a culture of people who go, hey, I actually really do see the value in what we're building, but these are some things I think we might need to adjust. Right, but you made an assumption here. What's the assumption? That active feedback is always negative. No, it's not always negative. If you're on a team and you're not giving out the feedback about what's going well, you're not helping either. And you didn't specify that active feedback was positive. <laughs> no, it can be it can be incredibly positive. I, I agree. I, yeah, did, yeah. I didn't specify, you didn't specify. So don't yeah. make the crux of your <laughs> argument that I didn't specify no. when you didn't specify. Yeah, but you're right in that a lot of times what happens is you keep your job if you're liked. Yeah. And if you start giving negative input, you start giving if you start giving active feedback about what the organization needs to do better, um, you can actually lose your job. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of have to decide, are you, are you comfortable with this organization operating at this level, which means you can keep your job, but then don't blame the organization. You're part of the problem. Right. Or is it important enough for you to speak into it and at the potential losing your job? Or maybe the company doesn't really matter that much to you. Your job matters to you, but not the company. Yeah. So I would say this, active feedback is important, both positive and negative. If you only give positive feedback, I know you're not telling the truth. That's right. You know, and then if you're only giving negative feedback, I'm wondering what's wrong with you because I'm seeing good things. Yeah. So if you can't see good things and you're only saying negative things, you have, it has to be a mixture of good and, bo good and bad. Yeah. But if you're saying nothing, I think that's the most dangerous person in your organization. Yes, and I think this is a part of it for me. If I don't tell you what I see that I genuinely believe will help you become better, I've, I've made an indictment on you. I've made a decision that you don't want to grow. Mm. See, when you believe a person wants to grow, you give that feedback because you know that they want the feedback to grow. When you believe a person does not want to grow, you withhold any input or any feedback because you don't think that person wants it anyway. Hmm. So it's really tricky. I mean, I'm, I'm having to deal with that right now with someone who wants me to do something for them, but they didn't follow through on something else. And I said, oh, give us, give us the real. I can't, I can't go specific. It's like, is I, it one of us? <laughs> and, uh, uh, and basically I said, um, no, I will not do this for you until you follow through on the other thing I did for you. When you follow through on the other thing I did for you, Get back to me about the thing you want me to do for you now. Oh, it's for sure my mom. It's got to be my mom. <laughs> it has to be. And I will neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> I don't want to get, those are dangerous waters. It's like when you read a document you should not read. Um, Can I ask a question? Sure. Yes. If I'm given feedback, active feedback, let's say it's because I did the wrong thing and it hurts my feelings. Yes. Um, and I make a corrective action but I'm still hurt and upset by the feedback. Is the action negligible because my emotions aren't in the right place or does the action count more than my emotion? That means your ego is bigger than uh, your intention. Okay, because does it invalidate my action? Well, which action are you talking about? Like you, if, the if, adjustment to the feedback? Yeah, if I act to adjust, but I'm still upset. It won't last the action or the emotion no the action okay so emotion should come first no it's not it's not even about emotion you see it's about resentment okay and uh because you resent someone for telling you the truth okay if you actually believe it's the truth you won't resent them because you'll you actually appreciate them because they 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 had to do a hard thing by telling you the truth no one wants to be unliked really mm -hmm. so when if someone's telling you something brooke that is hard to hear imagine how hard it is to say <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, so instead of being resentful that they said it you should actually be grateful that they sucked it up and went through the pain of sharing that with you and risked the friendship and risked acceptance or rejection so you, it's actually the opposite emotion you should be feeling you should be feeling gratitude can you be grateful and still a little sad <laughs> yes yeah, yeah you yeah, can yeah. be sad but you just can't be angry with them oh yeah if you're actually grateful yeah, I'm just wondering in that in that cycle, you get the feedback, you make the change. <laughs> yes. You know, where should your like internal adjustment play into it? Yeah, I guess what I say is what is making you sad that you actually didn't make the change on your own, that the person actually told you about the change that was needed? Mm -hmm. 
or what? Like, what would be the source of that sadness? That you're not perfect? I would say that it can be saddening to know that you're blind or that you're not as self-aware as you think. Yes, that is a very painful reality. But and we all, I think we all lack self-awareness to some degree. Yeah. And yeah. the more you lack self-awareness, the more painful it is when you get feedback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was actually, I was, I was, I was listening to a podcast this last week and I can't remember what it was called. It's a new one that I've been listening to. And it talked about how um, these communities in Japan, they're, they're calling, I think they called them like the, the, they called it like the, the, the communities of immortality or something like that, like the, the town of immortality, mm -hmm. because they had the highest percentage of elderly people lasting, um, living beyond the years of like 100, 102. And they, they attribute their like life, I guess their, their long lives to community mm -hmm. that they take care of each other in the good and the bad. Mm. And they have active fellowship and community and engagement in the people that they've done life with. These people wow. have actually been friends for over 60, 70 years. Mm. And then like a part of that has to be their ability to give each other feedback. Yeah. That living in community is not living in peace, in absolute peace. It's actually living in absolute, um, I don't know. I think, I think you can't have peace, pure peace and synergy without honesty. Yeah. You, you, otherwise, you're going to be carrying stuff forever. You're going to be carrying resentment and anger and frustration. And, and, and Brooke, I think this is a part of the challenge with the, um, the giving side of active feedback. Mm -hmm. If you don't share with someone early on before it's emotionally volatile, you usually waited too long and you say it wrong. Mm. And so sometimes the pain of active feedback is they exploded on you. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and you're like, why didn't you tell me like when this was just a small thing? So it was inactive feedback. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And inactive feedback is like an inactive volcano that's actually waiting to erupt. Mm, that's really good. Yeah. And, and I, unfortunately, what happens a lot of times when you give someone feedback is you, you've been thinking about it forever. Why doesn't he change this? You know, mm -hmm. maybe it's like your husband onto this, right? You know, why doesn't he change this? Why doesn't he do this? But you never mention it. Mm -hmm. But in your head, every time it made you mad, you had a conversation mm -hmm. and he never changed it. So when you finally have the conversation, you're holding against him all the times you wanted to say something, but you didn't. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so important to have the conversation before it's even emotional. Mm. You know, and, and then not make it as an indictment, but as um, a perspective. Yeah, like, um, you, you know, why do you leave your shoes out? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, that would be like a judgmental indictment on a probably ongoing action. As opposed to, um, it, it really frustrates me when I have to pick up your shoes every day would you be willing to start like picking up your shoes every day so I don't have to? Does that make sense, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so usually active feedback with, that starts with why, it's already dead. That's really good. You know, the, the active feedback needs to begin with, um, I don't know if, if you realize that when you do this, it, it creates this kind of environment or it creates this kind of response from people or, or in me, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, and, and then helping them see what you're seeing because if they saw what you saw they would probably change their behavior mm -hmm. and so it's really more about helping a person see something maybe they're blind to and uh, and the moment they're aware there's a little bit of embarrassment going wow i, I didn't even realize i was doing that hmm. that's know? really good so yeah. at what point do we become a hindrance on the people that we work for or that we lead if we aren't taking active feedback. Cause one thing I find is this is like someone in the organization will take all the active feedback and then bottle it up and it will never actually go up to the guy. So the guy will think everyone's great. Everything's yeah. good, but everything's a mess yeah. and everyone's frustrated and everyone has things and everybody always has things. Yeah. But how do you put the right people in place to know what are the right things to upstream up? You know, because I like I we talk about this. Mm -hmm. We had a guy say, um, "This is gonna be the last podcast I ever listened to from you guys." Just letting you know, yeah. this guy bought Art of Communication. This guy's in our like our Facebook group. This guy's in. He's bought in. I thought it was curious that he thought we'd care. 
Yeah, we do. We do care. Yeah. But I thought it was curious because I would never DM. I don't know. I would never DM Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. Someone I know. I would never DM Lewis Howe and be like, hey, Lewis, just want to let you know. I'm sick of this. <laughs> and this is the last podcast I listened to because of this. You know what I mean? I would yeah. just never do that. But I but I want to always take it like, hey, we would take active feedback. Let's listen. Let's 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 understand. And his feedback was wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. But I also didn't agree with it. Not all of it. You're never gonna agree with all of it. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't hurt by it. Yeah. So it's so you know. But we also like we got feedback this week. Hey, if you're gonna talk about Roe versus Wade, you need to make sure there's a woman on it. <laughs> this conversation right now that we're moving toward is I feel like we're condemned if we do and condemned if we don't. And um, this one, like a perfect example of this would be uh, the girl who DMs, who follows us all, and we say we're going to talk about Roe versus Wade, and she says, really, two men? Yeah. I'm like, well, yeah, because Battle Ready is two, two men. And, and we have Brooke and Austin who also join us and test sometimes, but it's, it's us. Yeah. And so we're condemned because we said we're going to talk about it, but we're two men. And then she follows up and goes, well, at least are you going to have a woman? which made me not want to have a woman, even though when you came to me about it, you said, hey, we need to have Brooke. I did. I said, we need to have Brooke. <laughs> and Brooke needs to talk more. And Brooke's like, no, no, no. I don't want <laughs> this isn't my that. podcast. This is your podcast. And I said, this is our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but what it really struck me was you have all these people con- who were immediately condemning um, because I didn't say something right away about Roe versus Wade. And mostly people on the right, mostly for I could tell Christians, like just so condemning. And I'm going, wow, I, you know, I'm sorry I had pneumonia. It just happened that, that my bad timing on my part. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And, uh, but, um, yeah, sorry I couldn't breathe for like yeah, so, yeah, yeah. four days. And, and, but thank you for caring about me yeah. as a person rather than as a tool that you can use for your uh, political and societal issues and agendas. Yeah. yeah. And so I go, okay, if we don't say something, we're condemned. If we do say something, we're men, so we're condemned. So, Brooke, how how do we get past that impasse um, as men? I would say that I believe both of you are extremely empathetic and intelligent, and you approach every issue like this with empathy alongside your intelligence. And um, Erwin, something I love about you is you live by the adage that truth should never travel faster than love. Mm -hmm. And so I feel that both of you have the place to speak about this because you would never do so in a way that intentionally hurts someone else. So I say, go for it. What about my compliment? What about me, Brooke? She included you. (laughs) She said, Erwin, something I love about you. Well, that's his And it made it sound like there would be an and. (laughs) And, Aaron, the thing I love about you is... All right. So so before we even talk about... um, the Supreme Court decision, I think I'd like to talk about the culture, the swarm around the decision. Because um, one, I, I've never been a person who makes decisions as an adult that doesn't always have a sensitivity for a person who disagrees with me. Like I. I've never been in a room in my brain with people who only think like me. So no matter what happens in society, no matter what happens in culture, even with things that I agree with, I always take time and consider how the person who disagrees with me feels, how they're reacting, why they're reacting that way, and what's going on inside of them. And then I have another deeper motivation. Um, I care about people who don't know Jesus. And I care about people who don't know Jesus more than I care about politics, more than I care about laws, more than I care about government. Do you care about them more than you do people who do know Jesus? I do. Explain that, because I think a lot of people have a hard time with that. Yeah, and uh, um, I actually do care more about people who don't believe in Jesus than I care about people who do believe in Jesus in terms of their opinion of me and their... um, uh, and their ability to hear the message of Jesus Hmm. from me. Hmm. Because um, it's so easy for me to say, well, I'm pro-life. Like I, I, and every Christian will go, you'd better be. Of Mm -hmm. course you are. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they don't even think about the implications of what that might mean to a person who doesn't believe in God hmm. and who um, is very strongly pro-choice and, um, and doesn't um, hear the empathetic side of that decision. Because for a long time, being pro-life feels like a political agenda rather than a real concern for the unborn. Mm. And I don't want to be identified with the political agenda, even though I have a deep value for um, the unborn. And for me, it's never been a question that it's a human being inside of a woman's womb. So when the question is, you know, well, it's not a human being, like just from my human perspective, I'm going, of course, it's a human being. And uh, not politically, um, you know, not policy-wise, I'm just saying my basic observation, you know, I really do believe in Hockham's razor that says the simplest answer is usually the right one. I mean, our last Supreme Court justice that was um, um, appointed said that she couldn't answer the question of what a woman is because she's not a biologist. And I, I, for me, Hockham's razor said, said it's easy to know what a woman is is easy to know what a man is. It's easy to understand the biological distinction between a man and a woman. Everything else is sociological. Sexual identity, gender identity is sociological. It's not biological. And the reason I bring that up here is because um, now we have an issue that directly affects women that is really advocated by the very people who are saying we don't even know what a woman is. And I think we need to realize that there's a slippery slope, not just on the right, but on the left, that's going to affect women's rights for decades to come. Because you can't give up some aspect of truth and not expect that it would have significant implications later. And so I I work very simply. Like, um, I know that in the state of California, it is illegal to destroy a turtle egg because we biologically know that in that egg is a sea turtle. We know biologically that inside of an eagle egg is an eagle. So we're intelligent enough as a species to be able to identify that before something is hatched, what it is, and we protect it. Somewhere along the way, we tried to um, diffuse or to blur the reality of the choices are being made. And and so I, what I say is, look, whatever your decision is, whatever you, if you believe in pro-choice or pro-life, at least be, be honest enough to go, that's a human being that we're dealing with. Or as Brooke, you said to me before, you know, a potential human being. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I understand that because like not all um, babies come to term. Yes. You know, there, there are miscarriages. Um, you know, we, we don't, I mean, moms live in that anxiety the whole way that they're, you know, will, will their baby come to term? And so I understand that. And I want to be incredibly sensitive to this. And, and, and on the flip side, um, I don't think that a society that tries to criminalize women for having an abortion is going to make the world better. So I feel a huge tension here. Uh, I, I think only we're only one of seven nations that, a, as as of this you know season, allows abortions on demand through term. So when we act like this decision with Roe versus Wade has put us into the dark ages, it has not. And some of the most liberal nations in the world have more stringent abortion regulations than we do. New Zealand, that's always like more liberal than us, and actually. Uh, heralds that and highlights that um, you only have open access to abortion up to 20 weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, the nations that are actually leading the way in abortion are China and Russia. But because we don't want to identify with those cultures, we don't actually say that. When you say out leading loud. the way, what do you mean? In terms of abortion rights, that you can have an abortion at any time all the way through a uh, term. And uh, the nations that we consider to be very, very modern advanced progressive, uh, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, they have far more restrictive abortion laws. And so what we need to realize is that um, this conversation is if we're talking about no abortions or all abortions, it's the wrong conversation. Mm. And I, I, 
I have never been a person who thought we should pass laws that make abortions illegal when it comes to the health of the mom or rape or incest or, or um, you know, the viability of the, of the baby or whatever it may be. I, I actually think that in a society like ours, you have to create space for those options. Mm -hmm. I just don't want us to act as if aborting a baby nine, 10 months into the process is just birth control. And so that tears my heart out did, when we think of it like that. Did you mean months or did you mean weeks? Uh, I meant months. Oh, like okay. When you're like, you can still have abortions at nine months. Mm. And where? Well, throughout our country. Yeah. And so, yeah. So can we lay the foundation, I guess, for what yeah. the conversation that we're having? So Roe versus Wade gets overturned by the Supreme Court justice saying that they overstepped the judicial process, yeah. that this is something that actually should have gone through legislation on the state and the federal level, but that for the past 50 years, the, I guess, SCOTUS, right, mm -hmm. which I always found a weird <laughs> abbreviation, SCOTUS has overstepped in its blocking of this, um, or of this interfering of this, I guess, um, ruling, right? Mm -hmm. uh, is that pretty much it, Brooke? That'd be a decent basis of what this is? Yes. Could could you say it one more time? I was just fact checking what he said earlier. No, you can go back and watch it again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're fact checking me. Did, uh, yes. uh, what was the fact check, Brooke? No, I was just seeing how many states have no limit on when a woman can abort, and there are seven. Okay. Okay. Which yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, but California would probably be one of those, right? Actually, um, not. Oh, no, not. but Oregon is. Oh, Oregon, that's right. Okay. Right. So immediately when Roe versus Wade was overturned, mm -hmm. 29 states went into like an immediate anti-abortion laws, right? They had trigger laws in place, yes. The 26 or 29? 29. The 29 out of the 50. Which tells you that the Roe versus Wade decision did not create the cultural shift that a, a good law actually does. So from my understanding, um, the SCOTUS is looking at whether this is constitutional or, or, or not, right? What, yes. Looking at whether this law is constitutional or not right. on the basis of the Constitution, right? So this is more going, what they're saying is this needs to get sent back down to the state level to then get brought to the state legislation to then maybe at some point get brought to the, the yeah. federal legislation. On right? a constitutional level, the Supreme Court is not supposed to legislate. And it has been for the past but 50 it, years on this. But it's basically issue. circumvented the process of, the, of Congress, of the American people to pass into law. So it's not that it can't be passed into a law is that the process was wrong. I do find you know? it odd that immediately we go from gun rights to gun, you know, to, to bringing that into Supreme Court, to bring that into legislation, to, and I do think gun rights and gun control needs to be looked at again. I think there needs to be, we talked about this in one of the episodes recently, but we go from that to then we go to this. And I I do find it odd timing, whether it's from the right or from the, or for the left, but it, it does seem like it is a constant, continual political like land, like minefield that we are living mm -hmm. in. And it does seem odd that the right screams pro-life and yet they want guns in everyone's hands and allow guns to be in really unhealthy people's hands. And I do find it odd that the left screams pro-choice, but I, didn't, I wasn't given a choice on whether I could take a vaccine or not over the last year and a half. And I definitely feel a difference in my body, the way that it functions over the last like year since I've had it. And so it seems like there's hypocrisy on both ends. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of walk us through some of that and how to come to terms with it? Because I'm I'm really sick to my stomach with like the evangelical rights. Mm -hmm. Really, I think it's like, we've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we are the same religion when we react so differently yeah i also wonder if we're even the same um species when you have the left crying over when i have we have friends going like i just cried for the last 45 minutes because we're and i'm like you live in new york and you're from la you'll never deal with this issue right like you will always your rights will always be protected because new york and la are very liberal mm -hmm. right but, but i also find it odd when i see like the right wing you know, evangelical Christians that I do know posting like this is this is a win for God. Yeah. Let me let me say something as um, a follower of Jesus. Yes. Um, 
Jesus's methodology was never to take over governments. So when people started going, why aren't you celebrating? Why aren't you posting? Why aren't you like cheering this on? I'm like, because this was never Jesus's methodology. And he didn't try to turn over the Roman Empire's political positions or ideologies. He brought hope and life to individuals and changed the world from the grassroots up. And so I, I actually never feel comfortable whenever we try to impose our moral convictions on an entire nation. Mm. And I understand that there are Christians everywhere who believe that's what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I'm just not one of them. I've never been one of them. Go ahead, Brooke. You've mentioned on this podcast, like running for office. Yes. If you were elected into office, would you not run on your moral convictions? I would run on, well, I mean, my moral convictions are essential to who I am as a human being. Yeah. Um, I would run on my moral convictions. My moral convictions are that you don't try to impose your belief systems on other people Hmm. through policy and laws that you actually try to create laws and policies that protect the rights of the most people and treats everyone with love and respect. Mm. And those are the those are the things I weigh in when I make those kinds of decisions. You don't preach from your political preference. I don't. And you don't and you would not lead politically from your I but I have to believe that your faith would leak into your political Oh, of course leadership. it would. Yes, it would. But not necessarily you're saying your policies. Yeah, I, I think that my policies would probably be um, unpredictable in some ways. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I think uh, a lot of Christians would not like my policies because I'm not trying to make the nation Christian. See, but a, a lot of Christians yeah. don't read the actual Bible and don't actually know what Jesus said. Yeah. So it, it, you can't blame Texas, Alabama, Georgia, and um, you know Mississippi for, you know, that's what happens when you marry your cousins for seven generations. Like, you right. just stop Aaron. reading books. I'm sorry. I apologize. Cut I that. Apologize. What? No, keep it. I want it in. And I'm joking because I was born in Dallas and I am not married. <laughs> and any. your mom's from North Carolina. Thank you. I didn't list North Carolina. You're not respect. married yet, Aaron, but there's still time. The, 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 holy, the holy mecca of you, you know, University of North Carolina is in North Carolina. So so let me just give you a historical perspective. Okay, man. please. Because um, one of my friends, we were talking and um, he's very liberal. And I said, hey, you know that societies always gravitate toward liberalism, right? And he goes, yes, I do. And I said, so why are you so upset? This is a hiccup. Every time a society moves to the right, it's an aberration, and it will always move back to the left. And, and we started talking about it throughout history. I mean, they try with prohibition. You can't force people to stop drinking, and uh, they just create moonshine and mafias. <laughs> and, you know, um, you know, you, you, we, we saw the nation actually move to the right during World War II. Before that, there was social relativism that believed that all cultures were equal. Hitler shifted the liberal sociological position. And because we finally had to decide, no, this culture is more evil than other cultures. We need to stop it. In uh, the 1990s, when uh, 9-11 happened, uh, we had stopped using the word evil across the culture. It was when George Bush said this was an act of evil, and Americans went, yes, when the towers are taken down in New York. And you have these moments in history that, and I actually think there uh, there are healthy alignments and realignments that happen and throughout history. Uh, But cultures always gravitate toward the left. And, um, And what I do think is important is the moral conversations that should be had. I mean, when, when the Supreme Court jumped on this early on, our society wasn't allowed to go through a significant conversation about what is, let's say, the meaning of life. When does life start? When does consciousness start? When do we feel as a society, um, the unborn child should be protected? We never really had these conversations, so they became extreme conversations of no abortions or unfettered abortions. I don't think either of those positions are the right position. And, um, and, you know, and so, and I, I think of, um, I, I want to go back to my question. So can you, can we break down the hypocrisy, but but that is laid before us on both ends? Like we talk about pro life, but we have, we have gun toting red Republicans and we talk about pro choice, 
But reality is they're not pro-choice. They're pro whatever we're pissed at. That's the reality. Like, I don't actually... I think the last two years have shown that the left isn't actually pro-choice. You can't even use that as a marketing ploy anymore. It isn't about women's bodies anymore. It is about, I mean, there was an amazing quote that Austin sent me this morning from like a young woman who was a part of the the, the pro-choice marches who breaks down saying, what I did not like was the moment that Roe versus Wade was overturned. I get a text message from a political party Democrats mm-hmm. saying you need to rush $15 to the de- the DNC so we can fight Roe versus Wade. And she says, this is hypocrisy. We haven't been actually attacking this, trying to bring this through legislation into federal state or federal law to protect women's rights. We've been blaming the right and using this as a rallying point to win elections. Yeah. And the right used it as a rallying point to win elections as well. I would love for abortion to not be the rallying point um, for political deception on either side. And um, yeah, because it's not really pro-life or pro-choice. It, it, like I can understand a person being pro-choice. I can't understand a person really being pro-abortion. Like when, when I hear people talk about how they see abortion like a, just like contraception. And or birth it, control. Or birth, uh, yeah, birth control. And, and, and people talking about, no, I've had 10, 20 abortions and act like it's like uh, a badge of honor. It concerns me when there's such a low value for human life that we treat abortions as if they're just, we should be callous and they should just be um, frivolous. Um, I think we should treat life with far more value than that. And um, at the same time, um, I do not trust governments to impose themselves on human rights or um, individual rights, and uh, and so I'm, I, I'm just never for that. And so every time the government reaches and takes control over our lives, I actually get nervous. Okay, Brooke, what do you have to say about this situation? Can you wrap us up? As a woman, yes, <laughs> I'll I'll give my input. Um. I, in reading about all of it, and I've done a lot of research on this case and um, to prepare for this conversation that we're having today, there are parts that I agree with when it comes to like the legality of Roe versus Wade. Um, I think my overall perspective is that I want to feel valued as a woman and as a person when it comes to what the government would consider my rights. Mm -hmm. And that encompasses pretty much everything. My right to vote, my right to marry who, like to marry my husband, who's not the same ethnicity as me, my right to do so many things. I I want to feel valued um, and to be appreciated as a woman. And so I appreciate this conversation today because it has been very, considerate and meticulous and it takes into account so many factors I think it's the blanket statements and the 100% it's right or it's wrong I agree with neither of those perspectives and even the woman who was Roe in the Roe v. Wade case she only supported abortion up to three months um, even after she became pro-life when she converted to Christianity in 1995 and I think there's always going to be which a, you asked the question off camera on whether she should be able to switch that that opinion and her stance. Well, she always maintained that she should have the right mm-hmm. to an abortion. I had said to you earlier that I think if someone has had an abortion, that they should never vote against someone else losing that right. Because once they have um, experienced that right and they have taken advantage of that right, to take it away from someone else unilaterally is the height of hypocrisy to me. Mm-hmm. That's, no, I, I appreciate that so much, Brooke. And I guess in an ideal world, um, you would have, you would be pro-choice and very few people would ever choose abortions. Yes. And that for me is an ideal world where the government isn't telling us what to choose, but we're making really great choices that are very humane and, um, and, um, and create a, a great society. You know, it, it, one thing I just wanted to like say is like, it frustrates me. I'm just gonna say this as a man. 
when people say to me, you're a man, you should have nothing to say about this. I mean, the Supreme Court that voted for abortion rights was a court of men. Mm -hmm. And so to say that men can't have a say or shouldn't have a say, I think only means men should only have a say if they agree with the left. Hmm. And and I also I, I feel that we as human beings need to stop telling each other why we can't have a voice and why we shouldn't have a perspective or opinion and maybe begin to respect each other. Like it it affects me. It matters to me that women across the nation are deeply distraught about this decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I wouldn't choose a society where the government is telling women what to choose. I choose a society where um, we all have, I, I, I hate that, that um, we the government imposes so many things on people. And I think we need to create a level of consistency or we're gonna create a government that is incredibly totalitarian. Mm. And, and by the way, contrary to popular belief, totalitarian governments are more likely to emerge when we go left and when we go right. Hmm. And that's just something that we're not paying attention to sociologically. And, and so, you know, I, I'm here going, I, I want a society where people have the right to make their choices and I want a culture where people make really good choices yeah. about uh, about life. Um, that's just my perspective on it. And I know this is a no-win conversation for us. And I think it's a huge win because mm. I don't care if you don't listen to this podcast ever again. I want you to listen to this podcast the same way I want you to use your brain and not marry your cousin. I want you to think. You want people to think. Yes, I do. And when we reduce our voices to a mono like it's not even what would it be like a a monolithic with voice or opinion with no structure with no taste with no touch with no ability to be on any other trajectory than what is politicized I, i saw a woman post uh, the Supreme Court justices, a photo of all of them, with mm-hmm. F-U, 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 with everyone who voted to overturn this. Mm-hmm. One, she's not even from this country, which doesn't <laughs> matter, because I guess we kind of none of us really are, but like she genuinely isn't actually even a U.S. citizen. She's trying to marry a U.S. citizen so she can get a, a citizenship. Like, I know this. And I'm like, okay, I appreciate your opinion. It doesn't nullify your voice. But I do wonder in which, the voice in which you're speaking from do you even understand the situation? Not because you're not intelligent, but because you're so emotionally charged and politicized that you're not actually looking at the whole. The other side of it, I look at it as like the 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 the, the evangelical right saying that this is a huge win for God. I'm going, I, I truly believe in a God who gave us free will. Mm-hmm. And even at our own detriment, he could have taken one of the trees out. <laughs> the tree that would have destroyed our entire future. Yeah. He didn't. He left it in. He gave us the opportunity to choose it. And that I I believe being pro-choice is actually being following a legislation and a law that is more has more attributes aligned with God and the way that he has ruled over us. And so when you're a Christian and you're going the only way and you're only a Christian, you only believe in God if you're pro-choice, I think you have to start reading your Bible and thinking a little bit more intuitively at the scriptures because this is so clearly the way God designed the world with us giving us options and giving us the opportunity to choose both life and death and destruction in any circumstance that we are presented with. Um, And that's all I have to say. As, as, uh, even though that one woman told me to shut up and look hot on the podcast, um, that's a compliment. She thinks you're hot. <laughs> but okay, that's a great point. She looked at you and said, "Stop talking and look pretty." But if someone, if a man says no, to she a woman, said, she said, "Stop talking, let your dad talk, and just sit there and look hot." Yeah. And so, if I, if a man said that to a woman, it'd be a whole different thing. Yeah. And if, and you know what? Why I think we have issues with either one, like being, you know, we have Brooke here because we love Brooke. We don't have Brooke here because we need a woman. Yeah, we, we have Brooke because we respect Brooke. Yes. We don't have that dummy who called me the shut up and hot guy because we don't respect her. So she doesn't get to have a voice here. 
but you are hot. Thank you, sir. So, <laughs> I feel weird you saying that, but I but I'm great. Well, I was just at the gym, and all the women told me that my son was hot. So, so thank you. I also said, hey, he's smart. You should listen to his podcast, Battle Ready. Boom. All right. With, all right. with that said, can I close it up? Yes, you may. Thank you guys for listening to this podcast. I hope we answered some questions. I am sorry to Texas, Alabama, Georgia, and Mississippi. I didn't mean it. Um, I was just joking. Um, also, I want to talk about our merch. We have some merch. We just released it. It's only gonna uh, we're shipping out this week, so we're gonna leave it up for one more week, and then it'll be gone forever. So if you haven't looked at it, go check it out. Batteriepodcast.com. Buy the merch right now. And if you haven't checked out Art of Communication, it's a masterclass. My dad and I got to be a part of building. It's basically my dad, me, and Austin and Brooke behind the scenes. And you built an amazing community. We did a ten week Q and A with it. Um, it is. An incredible masterclass on how to develop your communication skills. Mm -hmm. mm. 16 plus hours of information. I just want to say thank you to everybody who's listened to this. Check us out. Check out. Share this podcast. Rate and review it. Everything. We love you. Please and remember, treat each other with mutual respect. Pro-choice, pro-life. Respect each other. Um, listen to each other and elevate the conversation. Let's be pro-humanity. All right. See you next week. <laughs>